Bible, let's turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, where we'll be starting. Luke chapter 16. It is good to see you this morning. We have visitors here with us. Thank you for being here. I want to say for my part that I am not 100% in good health, and I do not want to pass that on to you. So I may not be greeting you and shaking your hand, but it's not because I'm not happy you're here. I'm not mad at you. Unless maybe, I don't know, is there someone here that thinks that I'm mad at them? I am not mad at anyone. I just am going to be trying to keep you from catching what I've had. But uh, we have now had uh, whatever this is go through all five members of our family. I think we're ready to be done with it, and I don't want to pass it on to anyone else. But appreciate you being here this morning, especially those who are visiting with us. We're always glad that you're here. If we can help you in some way to know more about God to know more about what we're doing here. If you have questions or concerns about what we're doing, we'd love to talk with you more about that. Thank you for being here this morning. Luke chapter 16 and verse 8. <coughs> Excuse me, Luke 16 and verse 8. It says, the words of Jesus, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Jesus tells a strange story here with some strange characters. The main character is a dishonest manager. He knows he's about to lose his job, and so he decides to spend his last couple of days on the job cutting deals at his boss's expense so that the people who were his customers will like him better and will treat him well when he loses his job. That's kind of an odd story, isn't it? especially for Jesus, and when, the way Jesus tells it is when his boss calls him in, that's verse 8 here, when his boss calls him in, he's impressed. He commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. He says, you know, i got to hand it to you. You really handled this well, even though it was at my expense. And then Jesus adds this comment in verse 8. He says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Jesus says, you know, people like this, worldly people are really shrewd. They've got a lot of good sense. They've got some things that they can teach us. And then he says, verse 9, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. His point is, that desperation that that dishonest manager showed, knowing I'm going to be out of a job soon, i got to do whatever I can to prepare for the time when I'm out of a job. He says, you can learn something from that man. Because we are in a similar position where we have some things and some opportunities for right now, but we're preparing for a time later. And we can learn from that dishonest manager. Now, my goal this morning is not really to focus on those lessons that Jesus is drawing from this story. I want to zoom out a step because I want to show you how Jesus is teaching us that we have things to learn even from unlikely sources. Jesus does not tell this story to condemn dishonest behavior. He does that in other places. He doesn't do it here. He tells this story to commend the shrewdness of this man and to say we can still learn things from evil people. Can I say that again? We can still learn things from evil people. In fact, we need to. It's tempting to think of a story like this as an isolated incident where Jesus has some strange characters. But the more I thought about it and the more I kind of put some things together, I saw that this is really the way Jesus teaches his disciples to think. 
And so the way I want to present that this morning is I want to talk to you about it as the question that changes everything. A question that Jesus' perspective brings to our minds. And that question is simply this. What can I learn here? That if we are able to approach the world the way Jesus does, we will look at the people and situations of our lives and ask the question, what can I learn? That is, as opposed to simply asking the question, who did right or wrong? What can I judge this person about? Instead, we ask the question, what can I learn? How can I be better for this experience? And so Jesus begins that whole process with this story about a dishonest manager, not to condemn dishonesty, but to teach us there is something you can learn from all of these situations. So let's talk first of all, what can I learn here from people? I want to think about how Jesus takes this in the lives of people he interacts with and teaches lessons from all kinds of people. Let's turn over to Luke 18. Luke 18. <coughs> Luke 18, beginning in verse 1. This is the first one is a story he tells. He told them a parable, Luke 18, 1, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice for my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? So here's a story about a judge and a widow. There doesn't seem to be a lot of moral in the story at all, is there? You've got a widow who needs some help, and you've got a judge who's kind of a scumbag. The judge doesn't care. The judge doesn't fear God. The judge doesn't respect man. The judge doesn't care about her cause. So instead, what you get is a story where this woman nags a reluctant judge into acting. That's a scene that if we were to see it, we might not think anything about what we can learn. What we would think is, boy, I sure don't like that judge. Poor widow. That's what we would think. And Jesus says, no, there is something to learn here. Verse 1 says there is that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then verse 7 says, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? So what Jesus says is you can learn about the persistence of this woman. Jesus says you can learn if there is an unjust judge who could be moved to act by persistence, how much more would a just judge like God? He says, look at people and then draw the lesson. What can I learn here? And if we open our eyes to the people and situations around us, we will find so many things to learn that will help us draw closer to God. He tells another story in verse 9, Luke 18 and verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner." I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So here are two other men. If we were in the temple, we might not even notice them. But Jesus says, here they are. One is a Pharisee and one's a tax collector. And he lets us hear their prayers. He hears, we hear that one of them appears to be good. He's talking about all his good deeds. And yet Jesus says, he doesn't have any humility. He looks down on others and treats them with contempt because he thinks he is righteous in himself. And he says, this man went down to his house not justified. And instead there is a tax collector who won't even look at the temple, won't lift his eyes up, won't come close, beats his breast and just prays for mercy. And Jesus says, that is the one who is justified. And then he draws the lesson. What can I learn here? Verse 14, the lesson is, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So this is a story where we might be tempted to say, and I think we read this story this way, so I think we need to be careful. We might be tempted to say, boy, that guy sure is bad. He sure is proud. I would never act that way. He sure does look down on that other guy. So we end up, what? Looking down on him for looking down on him. Jesus says, no, this is a lesson where we ask the question, how could I be proud or humble? How could I approach other people and my own righteousness this way? What can I learn when I see other people? It keeps going. You just keep going down in the text in Luke 18. You know what comes next? Little children. And Jesus says, well, you look at little children. Don't keep the little children from coming to me. He says, instead, you need to know that little children of such is the kingdom of God. Whoever receives the kingdom like a child can enter it. He takes a little child and he thinks, what can I learn from this little child? Here comes the rich young ruler. Next section. The rich young ruler balks at Jesus telling him, sell all that you have and give to the poor. Do you know what Jesus does? He takes a lesson from him. Look at verse 24, Luke 18, 24. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. That is a lesson. He says to his disciples, learn from this man. Watch him and learn. What can I learn here? It's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom. Turn the page to Luke 19. In Luke 19, <coughs> as Jesus comes into the city of Jericho, he sees Zacchaeus up in a tree waiting for him. In Luke 19 and verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I want you to notice the difference in how the crowd treats Zacchaeus and how Jesus treats Zacchaeus. The crowd complains about Zacchaeus. Here comes Jesus, he's a great teacher, and Zacchaeus, you're going to go into his house? He's a sinner. They are dismissive of him. They think that the only thing they could know about Zacchaeus, the only relevant factor, is that he is a sinner. He deserves to be condemned. But Jesus goes to his house, and he draws good out of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus begins a new kind of life due to Jesus' presence. He says, I'm going to act differently about people and the way I do my job and the way I treat people I've wronged. 
And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. And then he draws the lesson. He's a son of Abraham too, you know. Son of man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus is the kind of person I'm here for. The way these people treat and view Zacchaeus says far more about them than it does about him. Jesus says there's something they could learn here if they were willing to learn from other people. Jesus does this over and over and over again. When you start actually thinking about it and looking for it, you see it everywhere. Jesus draws lessons from the woman who gives two mites into the collection. Jesus starts stories about a beggar named Lazarus who doesn't have anything to eat and the dogs lick his sores. Jesus draws a lesson from Mary who pours ointment on him. From those who bring to him a woman caught in adultery, he draws a lesson. Jesus just says over and over again, keep your eyes open and ask, no matter who you encounter, what can I learn from this person? And I want to suggest to you that that's not just Jesus. That's actually an old, common way of looking at life in the Scripture. This is a passage that sticks out to me in Proverbs 24, verses 30 to 34. It says, I passed by the field of the sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. What's impressive to me about this passage is he says, I went by this man's house that was overgrown, and, and I, I thought about it. I asked the question, what can I learn from this situation? I didn't just shake my head and say, man, some people don't deserve to have nice things. Instead, he thought carefully about it. And what he decided is, it was about this little sleep, little slumber, that, that little laziness added up over time. That what seemed like a small thing in the moment became a big thing. And now I look at it and I see ruin that began as a small bit of laziness and a lack of discipline. And he says, so I looked and received instruction. I asked, what can I learn from this man's failure? Ezekiel also talks about that when Ezekiel gives these examples in Ezekiel 18 of, of someone who has a child and the child sees what his father did, his evil ways, and decides not to do it. Suppose this man fathers a son who sees all the sins that his father has done. He sees and does not do likewise. He shall not die for his father's iniquity. But I, I'm impressed by the fact that he says, children are going to watch their parents and sometimes they're going to say, I don't want to end up like my dad. And they're going to say, I'm going to receive instruction. I'm going to ask, what can I learn for good or for bad from those around me? That spirit is what Jesus is teaching us. When we ask the question, what can I learn from people? What we are saying is, our interactions with others are about more than just judging them. Are they doing right or wrong? We can learn from anyone. Everyone has something to teach. Now, it may be that those are warnings. Jesus has warnings from some people, especially the Pharisees. 
And it may be that we say, that's a path I don't want to go down. Those are people I don't want to be around. Those are lessons too. But it may be that we could say, you know, I don't want to be dishonest like that manager, but I do want to be shrewd. I have often heard my brothers and sisters in Christ say something to this effect about a group. Usually, the group that I remember this statement about is the Jehovah's Witnesses. And they will say, you know, I disagree with the Jehovah's Witnesses, but they sure are passionate about evangelism. And I love that because I don't think I need to tell this audience. I have a lot of disagreements with Jehovah's Witnesses' doctrine, but there is something good there, isn't there? There is a passion. There's something to learn. And if we can approach people with that spirit that says, I can learn from you, it no longer just has to be about all the things that we disagree about and that you do wrong. Instead, I'm open to learning. I see value in you. I don't dismiss you. I don't ignore you. I ask the question, what can I learn here from other people? Let's take a different tack now. Jesus also teaches us to ask, what can I learn here from my circumstances? Let's go over to Luke chapter 13. Luke 13. <coughs> we tend to assume that our circumstances have little to teach us. The way we think about it usually is these are just things to survive. We just have to endure circumstances. But Scripture actually has a long line of people who learned lessons from the things they experienced. And we want to join that group because it will bless us. Luke 13, beginning in verse 1. Luke 13, 1. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So they ask him about a couple of tragedies. But Jesus does not respond the way we sometimes do with tragedy. You know, when someone talks about a tragedy, we will just say something like, oh, that's, that's too bad. What a shame. Jesus does not say that. In fact, to Jesus, the concern seems to be, what if something awful happened and we learn nothing from it? That would be the real tragedy for Jesus. So he asks a question in verse 2. In verse 2, he says, Do you think that these Galileans who were killed by Pilate, these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? So here the people are processing their circumstances by saying, well, this happened because they deserved it. They were worse than other people. They got what was coming to them. And Jesus says, no, that's not true. Verse 3, I tell you, no. But this is what we do in awful circumstances. We hear about something scary or awful, and what we immediately begin to do is think about ourselves. And we think about it in this way. We ask the question, how can I be sure that that awful thing is not going to happen to me? And we start grasping for reasons why whatever terrible thing happened to someone else wouldn't possibly ever happen to me. How can I be sure that I won't get that cancer? How can I be sure that I won't be in that kind of wreck? How can I be sure that my children won't leave the Lord like that? 
How can I be sure? We see the pain of others and we try to find some mental way to justify how we won't suffer like they have suffered. And Jesus says, that's not the way to deal with your circumstances. That's not the lesson to learn. The lesson to learn is not that only bad people have bad things happen to them. No. Jesus says, verse 3, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. There is a lesson to learn. The lesson is this. Unless you repent, bad things are coming for you. In fact, we might even say worse things than the physical suffering that we sometimes see. So Jesus is saying, if you look at circumstances and you're tempted to somehow justify yourself and live above it, learn the lesson. The lesson is get your life in order while you can because life is not guaranteed. And judgment from God is worse than even the worst physical tragedies that we observe. So Jesus is teaching us, ask the question, what can I learn here from my circumstances? How can I be better for having gone through, experienced, seen, observed what I am seeing? Go with me over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We read a little bit of this this morning in our uh, singing service. This speaks a little more than to our idea of how we get anxious about our circumstances than just the, uh, the awful kinds of, of uh, tragedies that we were talking about in Luke 13. But in, Luke's, in Matthew 6 and verse 25, Jesus is going to say, here is the way we learn something from even those things that make us anxious. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Sometimes we get anxious about our circumstances like this. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Where's it going to come from? How are we going to take care of ourselves? And Jesus says, this is a time to learn. Specifically, he says, did you notice where Jesus says we need to learn? He says, go look around at the birds. Go look around at the flowers. Don't forget. God takes care of all of his creation all the time. And the birds don't worry. And the flowers don't work. God just takes care of it. Now, do you really think God cares more about the birds and the flowers than he does people? That when you trust him to take care of you, he'll just say, oh no, I forgot. Or I don't care. Jesus says circumstances teach you that you are just as much a part of God's creation as everything else. And by the way, you got to where you are today because whether you thought about it or not or acknowledged it or not, God took care of you up to this point. So it is that circumstances teach us about the providential care of God for all of his creation, including us, especially us. So when we look at our circumstances, and by the way, these are promises we can live in 
every single day. Because every day we have what we need, don't we? So we can learn from that. God is always providing for me. I don't have to be anxious. Jesus says, what can we learn from what we're seeing? God will take care of me. What about circumstances where where things are bad? In fact, uh, one of the most common things that Jesus warns his disciples about is the fact that they're going to be opposed for their stance about him. Do you know what he says about that? He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. John 15, 18, and 19. By the way, I had to to point at this one. I've been told that I only point at this screen. So I'm pointing at this one. I almost forgot to do it too. So Jesus says, if the world hates you, instead of just focusing on the fact, oh no, people are opposing me. People don't like me. What have I done? What can I do to change that? He says, no, what you need to do is ask the question, what do I learn from this? What does this tell me? And Jesus said, what it tells you is you're not of the world. Because you're not of the world, therefore the world hates you. Maybe something else is going on here. I can learn that I'm merely connecting with Jesus and it's rubbing people the wrong way because that's the way the world always responds to Jesus. So maybe people's hostility is teaching us something. Now, I'm going to put several passages on the board to emphasize this point. We're going to go in several different directions all at once. I just want you to be prepared for the basic thought. The basic thought is there is a long biblical history of people learning from their circumstances. They teach us that there is always something to learn. You ready? James 5 and verse 11. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. What's the lesson Job was supposed to learn? James says the lesson was God is compassionate and merciful. Now, you might say, wow, that's not really what I got out of Job. James says that's the lesson that Job needed to learn and that that's what that was about. Joseph says, as for you, talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What did Joseph learn? Joseph learned that evil can be turned into good by God. Joseph learned that God had more in mind than his comfort. Joseph learned that there are a lot of people who are going to be blessed when God acts, even though he might not be one of them in the short term. Philippians 1.12, Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And he talks about how his suffering, his imprisonment, all those awful things that happened to him, those things actually benefited Christians and the cause of Christ and spread the gospel. Haggai, verse, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Consider your ways, he says. Your circumstances are trying to teach you something, and you need to listen. That you don't have enough. You keep trying to save money, and it's putting it in a bag with holes. You, you sow a lot and you harvest little. What do you think's going on? And God says, I'm trying to get your attention. Your circumstances should be teaching you something. He is saying, you need to ask, what can I be learning here? Let me help. 
Let me explain a little bit of what I mean. When we ask this question about our circumstances, it changes everything. It changes the idea that we are victims of our circumstances. That it's just, this is what's happening to me right now. There's nothing I can do about it. This is just the way they're treating me right now. I can't help it. Instead, it turns us into active learners. What is it I should be taking out of this? How can I be growing? How will this bless me? How does this make me better? What can be possible now because of what's happening to me now? Who will benefit from the things I'm going through right now? And how is that going to happen in the future? How can I be better? How can I praise God in this situation? Suddenly, instead of being a victim, I become an active learner. Circumstances often teach us about God and get our attention in ways that mere words do not. So Jesus teaches us, ask, what can I learn here from circumstances? And the third thing that I believe Jesus would say the same thing about and apply the same kind of question to is, what can I learn here from Scripture? Let's go to Matthew chapter 9. You have probably noticed, this is my observation too, that Jesus has a way of getting more out of Scripture than the people he talks to. And that he always seems to wring a little bit more out and understand a little bit more deeply. I understand that part of that has to do with the fact that Jesus is God. But my point is that he seems to expect his disciples to get more out of Scripture than they do. And I want to show you an example of that. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. It says, Matthew 9 and verse 10, As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So they are challenging him about eating with tax collectors and sinners. How is this right? And he says, go learn what this means. And he gives them a a reading assignment, a passage. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It is amazing to me. Because these men knew this passage. They knew it backwards and forward. They had written their term papers on this passage. They knew this. And for someone to come, some itinerant rabbi from Galilee to tell them, go learn what this means, excuse me? What Jesus is saying, though, is somehow you've read this passage and you know about mercy and sacrifice. You've got all that down. But you have failed to understand what the scripture was teaching you. And you know how I know? I see how you're treating these tax collectors and sinners. There was more you could have learned in this passage, and you haven't learned it yet. Go learn what this means. Turn the page over to Matthew 12 now. Matthew 12. Matthew 12 and verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And we can talk a lot about this. I'm not going to get into this this morning, about their objection to them eating on the Sabbath and the idea of this being work on the Sabbath. I want to show you Jesus' response in verse 7. Matthew 12 and verse 7. He says, And if you had known 
what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. If you had known what this means. So, so he gave him a reading assignment before. Go learn what this means. And now he says, now you have failed because you still don't know what this means. How do we know? Because you're still condemning the guiltless. You're still doing things that this passage is teaching you not to do. So you get the point. When you look at that passage, it talks about mercy or steadfast love, and it talks about sacrifice. It doesn't say anything about the Sabbath. It doesn't say anything about tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is saying, if you approach Scripture asking the question, what can I learn here that matters now in my life, you would have come out with some different results. Jesus wants us to ask the question, what can I learn from this text that will relate to my life today? What can I learn here? Jesus deals throughout his ministry with people who know Scripture very well, but seem to have a very shallow understanding. And the way you see that is they keep bringing him questions. And his, his usual response is, have you not read? Here's a divorce question. And he says, haven't you read? Here's a question about the temple. Haven't you read? God's already spoken on this, don't you know? Yes, of course they had read. The problem was not in their reading. The problem was they're not learning from Scripture to be able to interface with the different situations of their lives. They have what I would call a shallow reading of Scripture. And I believe that is an issue that we struggle with in our time. I believe it's an issue we struggle with as Christians, a shallow reading of Scripture. What I mean is that we very often read Scripture and only search for the things that directly apply to a certain idea or practice. And if it doesn't directly apply one-to-one, then we say, oh, well, the Bible just doesn't address that, doesn't talk about it. Which, in an example that I used years ago, and I think is a relevant way to describe it, it's a lot like asking the question, well, should I go hang out in a bar? And you say, well, the only way I know to answer that question is to go to my Bible program and type in the word bar and see if the word bar is anywhere in the Bible. Oh, it's not in the Bible. By the way, somebody told me the word tavern is. Okay. And if the word bar is not in the Bible, I guess, I guess the Bible doesn't talk about it. As if that's the only way the Bible could ever address our behavior. That maybe God has given us principles that we need to apply and reason through to decide what we need to do. To read scripture, not shallowly, but to ask the question, what does God really want from me? Jesus challenges us to ask the question, what can I learn here and where's it going to take me if I apply this in my life? The other issue about reading scripture this way is that we tend to read scripture pridefully. That is where we assume that other people do things that we would never do. And so when we read about them, we say, oh, wow, isn't it awful? Look what Abraham did. He lied about, she's my sister, come on. As if we have never lied. As if we've never been afraid and said something we shouldn't have said. And we look at the, the foibles of people preserved in Scripture and we say, oh, wow, what a terrible thing David did. 
Oh, I can't believe Peter got his foot in his mouth. Can you believe that? Boy, I sure am glad I've never done that. We read Scripture as if we're far above it. And in doing so, we miss being able to learn something from it that would actually mean something to us. I want you to go with me to one last passage. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. Our question will change that. If we ask the question honestly and sincerely, what can I learn here? First Corinthians 10 is where Paul takes the example of the ancient Israelites and does that very thing. He says there are some things you need to learn. First Corinthians 10 and verse 6, he says, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The whole point of this text is to get us to see the possibility that we might fall just like other people have. That Israel was right with God for a while and then fell. And he says, so don't do what they did. And he goes through a list. Don't do this like they did. Don't do this like they did. Don't do this like they did. And then he says in verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That is in the pride of assuming I would never do that. I'm not like them. I'm different. I'm better. That we set ourselves up for the same fall they went through. And he says, no, no, temptation you, no temptation is overtaking you except such as is common to man. The things that test you are the things that tested them. The things that were hard for you are the things that were hard for them. Don't think you're different. This is how we must read scripture. That God is not just speaking to other people. He's speaking to me too. I need to challenge my thinking and my living. I'm not interested in justifying myself. I'm interested in knowing God's will. I'm asking, what can I learn here? And that question will change everything. Let me say, when you put a title like that on a sermon, it sounds a little dramatic. It changes everything. I really do believe that it is a fundamental change. It keeps us from being proud in our interactions with other people. It keeps us from growing angry with God when our circumstances aren't perfect. It keeps us hungry to learn from the Bible. It keeps us humble and open to new sources of learning. It keeps our spiritual lives fresh because there are always new ways God can appeal to us and we're willing to receive them. So I encourage you to take some time and ask the question to yourself, what is God teaching me right now? 
What can I learn at this moment in time from these circumstances and these people and these scriptures? What can I learn here? And it might be that there's someone here this morning who is ready to take the step of becoming a child of God. The message of scripture is that God sent his son to die for the sins of the world. And he offers salvation to you, eternal life, forgiveness and freedom from your sins. And that all he requires of you is that you put your faith in him, in Jesus as the son of God. That you turn away from your sins and say, I'm going to live a different life in following Jesus. That you're buried with him in baptism and those sins can be washed away. And you can be raised to walk in a new life. If you're ready to do that this morning, if there's any need that we can help you with, we invite you to come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.